The scripture reading today is taken from Luke 24, beginning with verse 41. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he, Jesus, said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms would be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. The word of God. Thanks be to God for this word. Peace be with you. It's really me. And do you have anything to eat? Who is this Jesus who appears and asks for food? Dead people don't eat, but they don't talk and breathe and walk either. Who is this Jesus who keeps showing up in Luke chapter 24? Dead people want food? We're holding our place still now for three weeks in this story, these resurrection appearances, post-resurrection appearances with Jesus. His largest task is over, the cross and the empty tomb. He can go be with God, but the teacher keeps teaching. Have you got anything to eat? Is Jesus hungry? Because didn't he just come from a meal in Emmaus with those two disciples a few miles out of town? Yeah, can he really be hungry? Before we get all judgy, judgy, our shelter-at-home selves, have you had the munchies the last six weeks? Come on, tell the truth. At 10.30 in the morning, oh, did I have breakfast yet? I think I might need to eat. Three o'clock in the afternoon, that wasn't a real lunch. It was a small bite. It's okay if I have a snack. We pace back and, front of our, back and forth in front of our pantries. What do we have to eat? Or am I the only one? Is this, am I the only one this is happening to? Maybe our shelter-at-home selves can understand this Jesus who says, do you have anything to eat around here? Is he really hungry? Some suggest he needs to eat, he needs to actually chew and swallow because there's an idea that he couldn't actually be real. He's somehow disembodied soul moving through the layers of the universe, Greek thinking. But if he could really eat and swallow, that would prove this metaphysical event really, really happened. And then I catch myself and I remind myself while you're listening in, This is the nature of metaphysical events. (laughs) These are the deep mysteries of God. Deep mysteries of God are simply that, mysterious and beyond. If we're looking to these resurrection appearances to prove that Jesus really raised from the dead, if that's the sole reason we read these stories, we will miss much more. In Luke chapter 24, verse 42, They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. They watched the food go down. Some meals are really about the food because people are hungry, and some meals are about the mealtime. The meal becomes the backdrop, the context, the opportunity for something more to happen. I mean, think of it like going on a date. When we go on a date, we often go out to eat to get a meal. It's not necessarily that we're always hungry, but it becomes the backdrop, the context. Think of a date you've been on. First date, Kirby and I. 
He says to me, do you want to go get pizza? Sure. What do you like on your pizza when he's ordering? Everything is fine. But is there anything you don't like? No. Does that sound like any kind of 16-year-old voice you remember having? It's all good. So the pizza comes covered with onions and peppers and olives. It's beautiful. And then on top of all of that are this, 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 these mushy oysters of the earth and mushrooms. <laughs> mushrooms. Anything called fungi should not be eaten. So I'm taking bites of pizza and gagging on my mushroom. Taking bites of pizza and gagging on my mushroom. That's date number one. I mean, some meals are really about the food because we're hungry. Some meals are the backdrop, the context for something more. These meals with Jesus in Luke chapter 24, these meals become the backdrop and the context for something more. They give Jesus something to eat, and he talks and talks. He quotes scripture. He recites their story. He fills in and fills out their history. The meal becomes the backdrop, the context for something much more. Oh yeah, Jesus is aware of food and society and culture and relationship. He's not the only one though. If we go to the beginning of our Bible, the book of Genesis, really, our story starts where? Underneath a fruit tree with Adam and Eve and the crossing of boundaries. Skip ahead a few more chapters and there are brothers who... Brothers, over a bowl of beans and some bread, they fight over a birthright. And Jacob serves up disaster, and Esau swallows. So the Bible is full of meals gone wrong. And then there are also meals that help us understand tradition and culture. We can think of, of uh, Jonathan and David and King Saul Jonathan protecting David's life, and that makes the king so angry. And for that, Jonathan refuses to eat at the king's table, because if I don't eat and drink with you, we're not obligated to each other. But in another generation, David will be the king of that table, and he will take in a crippled little boy, Jonathan's descendant, and he will absolutely offer him the feast of his table, obligating himself to a little boy no one wants. The Bible is full of these kinds of stories, food and society, culture and relationships, all woven to be together. It's the beginning, really, of all of our stories. The anthropologists, many of them, they let us know that we, we watch our meals, we watch how we eat, we learn as much about a society as listening to our language. Mary Douglas, we've referred to her often over the years, Mary Douglas says this, Food communicates differing degrees of hierarchy and inclusion and boundaries and transactions across boundaries. We are how we eat. Our food habits, they matter. There are more, more than 20 mealtime stories in Luke's Gospel. More than 20 times Jesus gathers around a table. Some of these stories are very familiar to us. We tell them again and again, like the time Jesus ate with the religious leaders and a woman came and anointed his feet. Or the time he was eating with religious leaders and he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. Or, or the time he eats with, times he eats with people he's not to, like Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who's up a tree and comes down and 
takes Jesus home for dinner. Some of the meals in the Gospels are so familiar to us, and, and then there are others we don't tell quite as often, like when the disciples are sent out on their missionary journeys, and they're told, don't pack extra food, find hosts who will feed you. Or tiny teachings like, like if, a, if a neighbor, if someone, if a stranger, if a stranger comes in the middle of the night and you need to feed them bread, go to your neighbor next door and knock on the door and ask for flour and hope they've got some not hoarded, right? Some of these stories are very familiar, and then there are others. The meals become the backdrop in Luke's gospel for something more. It's not that the people in Luke's gospel are, are more impoverished or more hungry or, or, or somehow more food-focused, right? No. The gospel writer in Luke, though, can see that Jesus understands culture and food and relationships and how they're all intertwined and, and, and how this Jesus and this writer see something more. Tables, they tell us things. Table culture. They show us the systems. Systems, who makes the rules and who assigns the status. The table culture, it shows us boundaries. Who's invited and who's excluded. The food, what's on the menu and how much. And etiquette, what's appropriate dialogue, the topics and the conduct. If you've been reading John Brunt's book these last weeks, and we still have more copies, Dr. Brunt reminds us that these kinds of details are important for us understanding our Bible and the stories we read. Jesus knows the power of table culture. Many of the stories... Um, that I've just named, the ones that are familiar, the ones that are less familiar, they all kind of culminate, however, when we get to Luke chapter 14. Because in Luke 14, Jesus tells a large story. He's actually sitting at a dinner party, referring to a hypothetical meal, while using a third meal as an illustration. Jesus is sitting at a dinner party, imagining a hypothetical meal, referring to a third meal as an illustration. And all together in Luke 14, when we put all of those meals together, Jesus teaches us remarkable things like, fuss less, fuss less over feeding your family and your friends. They can reciprocate. Fuss less over impressing important guests. It's probably more about me than my guests. Watch out when I'm tempted to take the seat of honor because the greater seat will always be the one serving. No one's required to come to the table um, worthy of the dinner or bargaining for their supper. God sets out a dinner place and leaves the lights on all night. Everyone eats. It's the hospitality of God on display in these meals, by the way. Yes, there's table culture and also every meal with Jesus is about the hospitality of God. That's the added layer. And so meal by meal, Jesus in these stories, he takes on inhospitality. Meal by meal, nobody can be completely comfortable. Meal by meal, there's enough offense to go around every direction. Eugene Peterson says that Jesus is this hospitality genius sitting at tables of what he calls regulated inhospitality. Regulated inhospitality. I mean, 
we can understand that from the kindergarten lunchroom table to kind of exclusive charity balls. We can understand that. Ruined or manipulated or tainted or disgraced or inhospitable meal experiences, meal by meal. Jesus tackles that in these stories. So last week we said Jesus can hold doubt and dinner together. We don't have to have everything solved. This week, looking at all these meals culminated by the final two meals in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, we could add more to the list. Jesus can hold together dinner and disagreement, dinner and disillusionment, dinner and division, dinner and difference. Jesus can also hold together dinner and deference, dinner and diversity, dinner and dialogue, dinner and distribution of resources fairly, dinner and the dreams of God. We are how we eat, church. And, and we practice resurrection every time we eat a meal. We, we practice resurrection through our meals. So in 2020, here's a question for you. What would you like your meals to be? Sure, your family meals at home, but I'm asking the larger communal question as well. What would we like our meals to be as a church community? We notice that while we're sheltered in place, like this is something we crave to eat together, to be together. My colleague Steve, my friend Steve Hemingway says, this is the most terrible. I, 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 I want to go to lunch with people. I want to go out to coffee with people. I don't want to eat at home alone. You could drink a can of Insure and get it over with quick. Just, I want to eat food with people. Yeah, it seems like we have that instinct across the country right now. The people at New York Times cooking They'll do an Instagram Live tomorrow, 4 p.m. on Sunday, our time, because there's a sense that the country would like to eat and cook together, so they're hosting a party, a live dinner party, where we'll learn to make pasta and turn it into lasagna, because the well-known chef, Samin uh, Norzat, she's aching to cook for people. Or the folks at Oscar Mayer Corporation, have you seen their invitation this weekend? Get your barbecue, your grill from the backyard and put it in the front yard in your driveway. We're inviting everyone to come out into their neighborhoods. Practice safe barbecue, driveway by driveway. Take a picture, post it on Twitter and Oscar Mayer, they'll donate to Feeding America. Seems like we have this instinct to want to eat together. So tonight, the church social, the grocery games, La Sierra, Chris Malik Ken Cantos helped us conceive of this fun way to spend the evening together. We'll go to our pantries, we'll shop for a few minutes, and then we have 30 minutes to cook something. There's still enough time if you'd like to enter and participate as a contestant, right? Look at the social media feeds. But if you simply want to take it in, gather your snacks, and get on the, the platforms where you're watching worship today, 7 o'clock tonight, watch the food happen. I mean, it'll be a ton of fun. We are how we eat. We have this instinct. We want to eat together. I, I, I see it. We feel it. We can almost touch it. And you are, we are, La Sierra, part of a community that practices resurrection meals. If you were able to log on at the beginning of our worship service today, then you saw the video featuring our Food Pantry Plus team, the volunteers who for 50 years 
about that, 50 years, have been committed to serving dinner in the 92505. If you missed the video, we'll show it again at the end. These vol volunteers, honestly, I could say that we can trace this conviction all the way to 1922, the first actions taken in meetings by the La Sierra family, that one Sabbath a month we would collect an offering. That offering would go to what they called the poor fund. We will feed people in our neighborhood. We won't keep all the food to ourselves. This, this isn't because we're more generous out here on the west side of town. It's not because we're nicer to people. No, no, no. This comes from a deep conviction. We are how we eat, and we learn this from Jesus. This is the conviction that kept the ministry, the Food Pantry Plus ministry, open these last six weeks. It's one of the things deemed essential by the county of Riverside. So the pastors asked our volunteer pool, any of those in the age category, category that makes them vulnerable, we asked them to stay at home while we searched for some younger volunteers. That's about 90% of our volunteers at Food Pantry Plus. And then remember that the students, the university students, are not gathered this quarter. They're, they're at home, and they're not actually allowed to come in person anyhow. That's the other 10% of our volunteers. So it turned out Pastor Vadim stood in the gap, held things together, while we recruited and found more volunteers to come out, because you not only have to be a little bit younger, but you have to be strong as we pivoted this food pantry to an outdoor drive-through food ministry so no one had to get out of their car to receive their food. We see you. Those of you, some of you have been with us the entire six weeks, and as the weeks gone by have gone by, we've seen and recruited a few more new faces. Then the La Sierra Senior Center called and said, help, can you help us feed our people too because we've had to close our food ministry. We could say, no problem, because this isn't new for us. And then Dr. Bazan called asking, help, can, can we use your space for the food for our international students because the buildings on campus are closed? We could say yes, because this isn't new for us. So when... We honor today those who've been working the last six weeks. We're actually also honoring those who've been doing this the last 50 years. We're honoring thousands and thousands of volunteer hours and hundreds of volunteers. We're honoring La Sierra University, who's donated the buildings we've used to make these ministries happening. We're also honoring those in 1922 who had the foresight, who could see this vision that we can't save all the food for ourselves. We are how we eat. It's an amazing ministry. With a few hundred dollars a month, Feeding America Food Bank, we're one of their 60,000 food pantry partners across America. With for a few hundred dollars a month, we can feed several hundred mouths. When we asked Dr. Ruth Fagel, Dr. Norman Powell, why is it you've poured yourself into this ministry these last decades, here's what they said. One of the best decisions I ever made was to become a community services volunteer. It has been so special to work with all the other wonderful volunteers in helping people in our neighborhood with food and clothes and letting our light shine for Jesus. My life has been greatly enriched by all the dear friends that I have acquired as we have worked together. 
It has been so satisfying during almost 30 years to have a part in providing such a fine program to provide all the help for these people that we do. I treasure all the dear volunteer friends, and while we're not together now, we can keep in touch and look forward to the day when we will all be together again and enjoying helping others again. Seventeen years ago when I signed up to work for the church community service, I had no idea what a blessing it was going to be. The diverse people that I meet, the homeless people, those that are temporary down on their luck, I think of a specific folk, the little old lady in the heat of summer pulling her little shopping cart for a mile down here, the homeless guy that sits down and chats with us about the little shelter he built and how proud he was of that. I think of the phrase we use a lot, serving the least of these, but as I think of what these people go through day by day to exist, it makes me rethink what least really means. I just appreciate so much getting to know these folk. We meet them in the community. I think of the lady I met at the gas pump. Hi, she said. I want to say thank you for what you do. I came there and you, you treated me with dignity and respect. Or the Home Depot guy that I met. Oh yeah, he recognized me. He wanted to do everything to find out exactly what I needed and do baggages perfectly for me. The experiences from this, the value, it's, I can't put a, I can't put a name on it. I can't put a value on it. And now with the pandemic, wow. We just got our Facebook page up with our new name, La Sierra Food Pantry Plus. People are seeing that. I don't understand it, all the hits we get, all the likes we get. I do understand the mayor's office calling, expressing appreciation. Understand the volunteers coming out of the word work from the community, coming up on Tuesday to help pack boxes, coming on Wednesday to help deliver. A blessing for me and a blessing for the church, and I'm grateful for that. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. You see how the ministry has ac actually shaped them. So we stand out here in Ward 7 this weekend with a little bit of a standing ovation for you, La Sierra. And we realize when we hear the voice of Jesus, what do you have to eat? He would find food here, food for the journey. The Food Pantry Plus, it has a child now called the Wellness Warehouse. The Wellness Warehouse has this goal to increase wellness in the neighborhood, and we're just at the beginning phases of the work there, right? To increase wellness in the neighborhood, large furniture sales, because those sales fuel the engine that makes the ministry happen. And both of these ministries side by side, Food Pantry Plus and the Wellness Warehouse, they need more hands. When we are allowed to gather again face to face, oh, do they need more hands. To the volunteers who have been making this work, it's not only that you're convicted to feed the neighborhood, to clothe the neighborhood, it's, it's the way you go about this. It's the way you carry your attitude. 
It's represented in this thought from the writer of Latin American histories and soccer wars too, um, from the Uruguayan author Eduardo Galeano, who says, I don't believe in charity. I believe in solidarity. Charity is so vertical. It goes from top to bottom, but solidarity is horizontal. It respects the other person and it learns from the other. I have a lot to learn from other people, he says. Solidarity is horizontal. The student volunteer, Megan, noticed that as she's been volunteering at Food Pantry Plus the last few weeks. She's been volunteering while also watching a film in her class about poverty and what it's like to live before the poverty, below the poverty line. And Megan notices when she's at the food pantry on Wednesday morning, she says, We've, we feed people 150 to 175 boxes on a morning. I'm trying to keep these people's lives in mind, she says. When they say to us, God bless you, or you are such a blessing to me, they genuinely mean it. For many of these families, this is the food that will last them the entire month. It's similar to what a woman told me three weeks or so, standing out in the parking lot getting her food. She snapped me over to her car and said, You don't know me, but you people have been feeding me for eight years. That's right. Eight years ago, I, was dis I, I got injured. And I went on um, disability. I'm no longer able to work. And I hit the bottom. How in the world am I going to survive? And then I found you people. The people in that building, they are angels. No one here ever makes me feel bad about my situation. Week after week, month after month, they just keep feeding me. You are such a blessing, she said to me. God bless you so much. Well done, La Sierra. Well done. And we take a moment to look into our future. Shelter at Home gives us this opportunity to look into our future. I asked you a couple of weeks ago, what is the church you would like to be when we're able to gather again? Have you been working on that question? What is the church we would like to be when we're able to gather? I'll go first. When we're able to gather, I'm less interested in being comfortable church. I'm less interested in being consumer church, packaged church. I'm less interested in being programmed spirituality. I'm telling you the truth right now. I'm tired, especially in our kind of more congested areas. I'm, I'm tired even in Adventism of, of competitive church and homogenous church, the churches that have grown the last 20 years, believe this, the churches that grow are the ones where everyone's alike. Because it turns out we like to go to church with our buddies, people just like us. We church with our friends. The church, including the Seventh-day Adventists, we've had very little influence interrupting suffering in our culture, interrupting violence in our culture, interrupting hate and division in our culture. And I wonder why. When Christ returns to find faith on this earth, will he find faith that's interrupted suffering? Will he find faith that breaks down divisions? Or will he find consumer church? Can you believe it now? We're all caught up in watching how many views we get on our different platforms because we're all stuck behind cameras and people behind computers. I have no interest in being that 
church. Solidarity, not charity, in our communities. See, the only purpose of the gospel is actually to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. Oh, we won't solve all of our differences, but Jesus promises we can be reconciled in our differences. That's the church that excites me. That's the church I would like to see us create more of when we can gather. We are how we eat. Jesus promises that around these tables, something changes. It's how we practice resurrection. These, I would call, resurrection meals. The community and the nonprofit partners, friends, they already know we're out here. They already call and ask us for help. Over the years, La Sierra has made its convictions well known. What next can happen? What next could we be up to, to allow Jesus to reconcile us more fully in our communities to one another? Norm Powell asks, maybe we could pack our food boxes on Fridays in the future when we're able to open and be together. Maybe we can pack our food boxes on Friday and actually distribute them on Sabbath because then we could connect our Sabbath worship time with Sabbath healing time. Yes! When we floated this idea 15 years ago, it was scandal and, and people pushed the idea aside. But Norman is on to something. Why not distribute our boxes when the community is full of people, when we're all here and the facility is alive, rather than on Wednesday mornings at 8 a.m. when no one's here and volunteers can't get here either? What if we rethink how we do this? These food boxes, they're not charity, they're solidarity. We need to be with the people. Yes, it's a beautiful idea of the church we can, cre we can create when we gather again. What is the church you would like to create? I'm reminded of a block party many years ago in 2011. It happened in our Riverwalk neighborhood. It was the city that decided to throw the, the party. It was out in a green space and built, buried in one of the Riverwalk neighborhoods. There was a bouncy house for the children and a live band. There were grills and barbecues going all around, chicken wings and hot dogs and hamburgers. The band was loud and there was face painting for the children. The city officials came. What was the occasion? A few weeks earlier, a triple homicide in one home, in our neighborhood. And the people traumatized and terrorized, this is really happening in our neighborhood. And the city officials wondered, how, how do we help this community start to heal? Okay, let's throw a barbecue. Let's have the police come and let's have some clergy come. I showed up that day. They called us, can you come? We have no idea what's going to happen. And little by little, people came out of their houses and sat around these tables and awkward at first, grabbing their food and looking around. And to be very clear, divisions were on display that day. To be very clear, there was much to be reconciled that day. And still, around a table, healing began. We are how we eat. That's a resurrection meal 
on a Saturday afternoon? What is the church we would like to create when we can gather again? Praise God for hospitality that has no boundaries, church. Praise God for hospitality, that God who is the source of every blessing. Praise God for the potential. Jesus tells us we are how we eat. What would you like to serve, La Sierra? Amen.